Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 312 A 3D Model for Spiritual Growth. In this episode, taken from the Buddhist Geeks Conference in 2013, meditation teacher Shinzen Young speaks about how to enact a successful model for spiritual growth. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Okay. So, um... As you know, my name is Shenzhen, and this is my favorite thing in the world to do, which is to interact with people around uh, these topics. So my main goal in being here is uh, to be available. If you see me in the halls, uh, and there's something you'd like to talk about uh, around these things, uh, do not hesitate to just uh, tap me on the shoulder, get my attention. I say, basically, uh, that's what I'm here for, uh, to be with you folks and to have uh, interactions. So I titled uh, my talk, The Meaning of Life. That was just to get people's attention, because actually, I would not presume to uh, pontificate on the meaning of life. So no, I am not going to uh, attempt to uh, formulate the meaning of life. However, I would like to say something about the, the question per se, the question of what does life mean? Um, how would we uh, approach this kind of question? Well, in good geek fashion, uh, I always like to think about things in the most uh, general framework. So in the most general framework, how do we uh, address any question as a human being? I would suggest to you that any question, uh, however trivial or substantive, um, can be addressed by any human being in two possible ways. And I would also suggest that it's very useful to uh, be willing and to be able to address any question, including uh, ones that are quite profound, in both of these ways, not just one of them. The normal way that we would address uh, any question is to try to figure out the answer. There is certainly a place for that. Uh, it's gotten us very far <laughs> as a species. But I would suggest to you that there's another possibility with regards to any question, including a big question like the meaning of life. The other possibility is to consider the forces that drive us to answer that question. What is it that uh, makes us need an answer to a question? And I would suggest to you that that comes up as a state uh, <clears throat> in subjective experience. It's the need to know. And I would suggest to you that uh, whenever any question comes up, you might consider instead of just trying to find an answer, also, in addition to doing that, working, taking some time to work through 
the arisings in mental image and mental talk and emotional body that are the drive to get an answer. And that, that would be a legitimate way of working with any question. So I'd just like to put that out there as uh, a thought about questions in general, uh, including the meaning of life uh, type of question. So although I cannot uh, 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 presume to be able to say something about the meaning of life, I am going to presume to say something uh, about the goals of life. Uh, I have a way of thinking about uh, the goals of life for a human being. It's just one way to think about it, but I like this way of thinking about it because, um, first of all, I think it's quite comprehensive. Secondly, it um, allows us to see some very clear relationships between things in spiritual practice, uh, psycho-spiritual growth, that sometimes those relationships are not clear. And thirdly, uh, this model allows us to, uh, get, uh, to see clearly where imbalance comes in in practice um, and what to do uh, when imbalance uh, does come in. So I'm going to show you um, a graphic. So um, here's my visual. Uh, well, we've got three faces, and they represent uh, three very fundamental goals for, that uh, I think any human being can and should aspire to. So I call this one here, uh, the one with the big eyes. This symbolizes um, the endeavor that I call appreciate the self and the world. What do you think this represents then? Well, I yes, I would say um, actually contemplation en enters in everywhere here. To me, this is transcend the self and the world, get over the self and the world, see beyond the self and the world, come in contact with something that is beyond time and space directly. Uh, so now this fellow here has his eyes sort of looking up, pointing up. This is the goal of uh, improve self and world. So I would suggest to you that uh, if there's a lacking, in, an imbalance in practice, it's because uh, one is uh, not working towards all three of these goals. Um, and if there's confusion in practice, well, part of that might come about through, not all of it necessarily, but part of it might come about through not understanding the complementary nature of these three goals. Um, the arrows, the reinforcing arrows, actually go both ways, but the primary direction is cyclic around this way. Um, so first, what do I mean by self and world? I mean the sensory experience of self and world. Uh, I would suggest to you that the experience of self comes up uh, as mental image, mental talk, and emotional body sensation, a sort of core feeling, thinking self. And our sensory experience of the world, how do you know there's a world here now? Uh, you have, you're looking at the sight of me, you're listening to the sound of me, you're aware of the physical impact of the world, uh, the touch of the, 
your clothes, the uh, touch of the air. As this is happening, you're reacting to what you're uh, seeing and hearing and feeling on the outside by things that you see, hear, feel on the inside. So to appreciate the self in the world is to have a complete sensory experience of uh, what is visual, auditory, and somatic. Um, it also involves um, part of appreciating the self and world is if your experiences of self and world are pleasant. So I would suggest to you that there are two aspects to appreciating the self and the world. One is that the content of your, of your world is pleasant, um, and the content of yourself is pleasant. That we all know. If we are in a pleasant environment, we like the way the world is, if we like the way we are, then that's easy to appreciate that. But what most people don't realize is that there's a second dimension to appreciating self and world. And that second dimension is independent of the content of the self and the world. It's independent of your sensory experience. That second dimension of appreciation is measured by uh, how mindful you can be with regards to your moment-by-moment -moment experience of self and world. In my definition of mindful awareness, that would be how much concentration, clarity, and equanimity you bring to each see in, see out, hear in, hear out, feel in, and feel out. So your ability to appreciate the self in the world, this job here, uh, on one hand depends on how nice yourself and your world is, but more importantly, it depends on uh, your habitual level of mindfulness. And mindful awareness can be uh, trained. Now, what does it mean to transcend the self in the world? This would seem to be the world of form. This would be, seem to be the world uh, beyond form. We might have some confusion because we might think that these are sort of conflicting goals. But I would suggest to you that, in fact, the experience of the formless is merely the limiting case of the experience uh, of appreciation in, uh, to the extent that appreciation means be mindful. Now, some of you uh, probably have a, a background in calculus, and you remember what a limit is. Some of you don't have a background in calculus. Uh, but uh, a, a, the, uh, a limit means, uh, well, if you sort of take it to a certain extreme, uh, where is it going to go? You can think poetically of uh, that being the limit. I would suggest to you that if you, uh, beyond a certain critical value of concentration, clarity, and equanimity, any ordinary experience of form becomes an extraordinary experience of the formless. You are simply too um, involved in the pure awareness of self and the world to fixate the self and the world into a thing. And so uh, actually, uh, instead of going, getting to transcendence through somehow denying the senses, the paradigm that I prefer is that we get to uh, transcendence through a, a form, through a radical, radical affirmation of form called mindful awareness. So that's why this actually leads to this in the limiting case. Now, we might refer to this as an, um, 
uh, an Archimedean point. So Archimedes says, said, if you give me a place, a, a place to place a fulcrum, uh, I'll be able to move the world. That's an Archimedean point. The problem is that the place has to be outside of the world, which is contradictory. Well, metaphorically, our, uh, our Archimedean point, uh, psycho-spiritually, is that uh, from the place of the formless, the source, nirvana, niroda, whatever you want to call it, shunyata, this is the optimal place from which we can improve the self and the world. And I would further suggest to you that if you actually directly experience the formless, you are experiencing the source of consciousness, you're experiencing your source, and therefore you're experiencing everyone's source, and uh, a natural uh, sense of service will arise from that, that in the Buddhist tradition is technically called the bodhicitta. Because um, although this is an experience of nothingness, it's also an experience of oneness. And when you come out back into form, there is a motivation to want to improve the world through service. And also, this gives you a place from which you can optimally improve yourself. So what does it mean to improve yourself? I would say that um, uh, improving oneself means to foster what I would refer to as the ABCs of being a good human being. ABC. A stands for affect. What is our go-to emotion? Is it fear, rage, and grief? Or is it joy, love, uh, joie de vivre, compassion, and so forth? There are things called positive emotions. We do practices like loving kindness and Brahma Vihara more broadly uh, foster those kinds of positive emotions. So that's A. B is behavior. That's Sheila. That's character. That's how we relate to uh, other people, how we relate to substances, how we carry ourselves in the world. To improve our behaviors, our objective behaviors, I would say any path that doesn't talk about that um, is going to be an incomplete path. C is cognition. Um, there's uh, what's called antidote practice, where you replace uh, negative cognitions with positive cognitions. So I would say that broadly, to have our habitual go-to place as far as affect, behavior, and cognition, to have those be what would be admirable by the ordinary standards of humanity, to become, uh, I guess if I were to use uh, a technical uh, Buddhist word, to become a mensch, if you're familiar <laughs> with this ancient Sanskrit term. That's an admirable person by the ordinary canons of ordinary people. Uh, the ABCs of being a good human being, that's what I call improving one's self. And I would suggest to you that um, there are five elements necessary for that to happen. Uh, three of the, two of them are related to practice directly. Three of them are actually something outside of practice per se. So the two things that are related to mindfulness practice are you can use your mindfulness practice to deconstruct negatives. You can also use your mindfulness practice to strengthen the positives, the ABCs. 
So there's two ways that your mindfulness skills can help you uh, be a better human. Um, so those are two elements. But that alone um, is not enough. There are three other elements that I think are important in the process of improving uh, oneself. We need some general guidelines. Now, I'm not a big advocate of long, complicated rule lists, but there, are, there is the fourfold Sheila, the fivefold Sheila. These give us some general ethical guidelines. What else do we need? Well, um, we need to keep the feedback loops open from all the people around us so that people can sort of call us on our stuff, point out things to us, and we can get a consensus of how we are in the world. So um, that's four things, if you were counting. The fifth thing is, even with all of the above, even with the general guidelines for what it means to be a good human being, even using our mindfulness practice to deconstruct negatives, using uh, the practices of metta and so forth to reconstruct the positives, um, and um, uh, even keeping the feedback loops open so we know uh, people can talk to us and uh, approach us so we get feedback on our behavior. Even with all of the above, that might not be enough. One more thing might be needed, and this is something that is exterior to uh, traditional practice. You may need a, um, uh, uh, an objective, uh, behavior-oriented accountability and support structure. By that, I mean a therapist, a counselor, a 12-step program, behaviorally oriented, accountability and support if you want to make behavior changes. Mindfulness practice alone may not be enough. But if you line up those five elements, you, uh, mindfulness practice, of course, weighs in. It's part of the picture. Then you'll be improving yourself. I mentioned that your motivation to improve the world uh, comes from experiencing the oneness here. And it expresses itself however it will express itself in your bodhisattva service to the world, which of course then will tend to, because you're improving yourself and you're in trying to improve the world, you're going to be in circumstances that are, this is the law of karma here, what goes around, what goes around comes around, your circumstances are going to be more pleasant, so much more to appreciate, and so it goes. Um, where people get confused is they don't realize that the emptiness comes about through uh, a full appreciation of somethingness, um, or they try to do this um, but don't do this, or they try to do this but forget about doing this and this, etc., etc. If you try to do this without doing this, you might get into a kind of uh, uh, dualistic way of thinking where uh, you think that uh, the world is the enemy of the spirit. And if you do this without doing this, without improving your, yourself and the world, then that is an unbalanced uh, spiritual practice, um, <clears throat> a one-sided practice. So, you could sort of put this all together, and it reminds us uh, of our fundamental elements. 
and some important relationships between them. And that's it. We're done. <laughs> Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.